the word redeemed means. I've been bought back from my slavery to sin. I've been bought by Jesus. And the Bible says I've been bought with a price. And that price was his shed blood. And I'm so very thankful for that truth this morning. Praise be unto God. I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I, I, I had a good friend of mine years ago. Some of you may know him. His name was Kitty Cantrell. And uh, he had been saved when I knew him for a, quite a long time, probably 20, 25 years. But every time I got around that brother, he wanted to talk about the goodness and the grace of God and how the Lord had redeemed him. And uh, he just never got over getting saved. Amen? And let me tell you something, folks. You should never get over getting saved. Sometimes we come in and we sing these songs not because we're uh, really wanting to worship the Lord, but just because that's what we do. It's kind of a segue between the beginning of the service and the preaching time. Oh, no, listen, don't miss out on the opportunity you have to truly bring praise to the Lord because without Him, you're condemned to a devil's hell. Without Him, you're still in your sin. Without Him, there is no redemption. So if there's anybody who deserves worship, it's Him. So when we come together, let's not just come together and go through the motions. Let's not ever endure a service. Can you say amen? I never want that. I never just want to come and, and endure a service, but enjoy what God has for you. And the way you do that, the way we do that, is to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so let's always... Take advantage of the great privilege and opportunity of praising the Savior who has redeemed us. Let me, let me ask you something. Let me tell you what I believe. I believe that God is sovereign. And by sovereign, I mean that God is in control. If you believe that as well, say amen. See, this morning we need to understand that it is by God's sovereign will that each and every one of us here today are in this service. It's by God's sovereign will, if you're listening online, whenever you're listening, whether it be right now or, or at a later date, whenever this message finds you, I believe it's by God's sovereign will that you're hearing the message God has given from His Word. It's not by accident that any of us are here. I know what some of you may be thinking. You may be saying, well, Brother Roy, I'm just here because Mama made me come or Daddy made me come. Uh, and, and guess what? That's a good reason to be in church, young people. Matter of fact, parents, it ought to be a requirement in your home that the kids under your roof come to worship the Lord. I'm not going to let mine miss worship. You want me to tell you why? They need to be under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. They need to be around the people of God. They need to be in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, because God does a work in the presence of His people like He does nowhere else. And so it's good to require your children to be in the worship of the Lord. I wouldn't let them miss church no more than I'd let them miss a good meal. Amen? If they need physical food, they certainly need spiritual food. And so I want to make sure they're getting it on a weekly basis as often as possible. Of course, not just at church, at, at home as well as God opens those doors and as God leads, but certainly right here. But, but now listen, that, that may be true for you young people. Mom and dad may have forced you, but it's more than that. It's by God's sovereign will you are here for this moment. Some of you may be saying, well, Brother Israel, I'm here, but I'm here just because somebody asked me. Well, that's good. I'm glad somebody asked you. Matter of fact, I want to challenge each and every one of you who didn't ask someone this week, ask somebody next week. I, I'm a firm believer that coming to church does not save you, but church is a great place to get saved. 
And so I want to have as many people as we possibly can in this place when we worship so that they too can be under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God and be among the power of God the Holy Spirit so that God can do His work. Does God save people outside of church? Absolutely, but God certainly does save people in church. So invite them to come with you. It's a great place to get saved. But now listen, you may be here just because you think someone invited you, but it's more than that. It's by God's sovereign will that you are here. God wants you here to hear his message so he can do his work. I believe that with everything in me. Jesus said this. He said that, uh, a sparrow is sold for a farthing. A farthing is less than a penny. He said a sparrow is sold for less than a penny. But not one sparrow falls from the heaven except my heavenly Father knows it. What is Jesus trying to explain to us in that message? He's trying to say to us that God our Father is sovereign. He is in control. And he has you here under the preaching of the word of God for a reason. This morning, I don't want you thinking about what somebody else needs to hear. I don't want you to think about, I wish so-and-so was here. Listen, what is God saying to you? What does God want you to hear in this message? Jesus also said, he who hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. How many of you all want to hear what God has to say to you today? How do you know that the sovereign God of heaven, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of heaven and earth, who's, listen to me now, the heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. He wants to speak to you. If you want to listen, say amen. Let me pray for you. I'm just going to pray right now that God gives us all ears to hear. Father God, we love you today. We're so thankful that you've put us all in this place under the sound of the preaching and teaching of your word for a reason, Lord. It's not just for some, it's for all, and I want to thank you for that. I'm thankful it's by no accident that all of us have come together. But Lord, you want to do your work among these people, and I'm asking you right now, Lord Jesus, that you would have your way and you would have your will. Holy Spirit, we're praying that you would just fill us up and pour us out. Use us today, Lord, for your honor and for your glory. We need you to do the work. And if the work's going to be done effectively, Lord, you've got to do it. I can do nothing without you. But I realize, I trust that, Lord, I can do all things through you who strengthens me. Lord Jesus, give me strength today to preach your word. These people need not hear what I have to say, but what thus says the Lord. And we're asking you would speak to me, speak through me and use me, and open our ears. In Jesus' name we pray and for your sake. Amen. Now I want to speak to you about a subject that is important for each and every one of us. If you're here today and you're a husband, this subject, this message is important for you. If you're a wife, it's important for you. If you're a, a, a parent or a child, this message is, is important for you. If you're here this morning and you're 9 or you're 90, this message is important for you. Regardless of what stage of life you are in, this message is important for you. If you've got all the money you can ever spend or you don't even have two pennies to rub together. This message is important for you. Listen to me now. I don't care what past you have. 
I want us to think today on the future we're looking forward to. This message is important for all who have a past, and we all do. You need to understand this morning, this message is important for all of us, if each and every one of us. Now, I want to speak to you today on the subject of eternity. Now, that's a really big subject. That's a very deep well. Eternity is, uh, just if I'm honest with you this morning, it's really hard for me to explain it. And it's really hard for me to explain it because it's hard for me to understand it. You see, it's hard for a finite mind to wrap itself around that which is infinity. Amen. My mind can only go so far. My mind can only think so much. So it's hard for me to understand eternity that never ends. And there's a, and I feel like I'm probably not alone in that. We're all kind of in that shape. And I'll tell you why I believe that this morning. Because we are all human beings who exist in time, if you believe it, say amen. We all have a beginning, and we all have an end, physically speaking. And the truth is, everybody we know has a beginning, and they have an end, physically speaking. So for those who are um, existing in time, it's hard for us to understand the timeless. Now, it's not hard for God, because uh, God is eternal, can you say amen? And we see that in the Word of God. And if we're truly going to understand eternity, first and foremost, we've got to understand what the Bible says about the God we serve. Now, the Bible says that God has created everything and deserves praise from everlasting to everlasting. I'm going to give you just three or four verses here really quickly before we go further. First of all, I want you to see Psalms 41, verse number 13. Brothers, if you will, please put that on the screen for me. Psalm 41, verse number 13. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting and to everlasting. Amen and amen. Why does God deserve praise from everlasting to everlasting? Because he is the eternal one. Go to Psalm 90. And verse number 2, Psalm 90, verse number 2, listen what this says. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever had thou formed, formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. That means before there was ever a earth, an earth for us to live on, a world for us to exist in, God was there. Before the beginning was God. Can you say Amen. He's always been. He explained that to Moses and to us uh, and to Pharaoh all the way back in the book of Exodus. Do you remember in the book of Exodus when God called Moses, who was a murderer on the run, herding sheep in the backside of the Midian desert? He called that man to go to Egypt and lead his people out from under the bondage of Pharaoh. They were in slavery in Egypt, the Israelites. And they had been praying unto God that God would deliver them. And God sent them a deliverer and a man named Moses. Now Moses wasn't a likely candidate for God to use. He wasn't. Again, he was a murderer. He was a sheep herder. That's all he was. And he was really on the run from authorities. He had murdered someone in Egypt, ran off to Midian, and began tending sheep. But when God called him, God enabled him. And God said to him, Moses, I want you to go into Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Well, Moses said, the Lord, I can't do that. When I go, Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. I have no standing in Pharaoh's court. And he says, who am I going to say sent me when I go unto Pharaoh? And God said to him, Moses, you tell Pharaoh the great I am sent you. Now, what is God saying? What is he telling Moses? What is he telling us? When God calls himself the great I am, 
He's calling himself the ever-existing one. He's not the I was. He's not the I will be. He's the I am. He's always been just exactly who he is. He never changes from eternity to eternity, from past to present to future. God remains the same. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. He's the unchanging, eternal God of the universe. God's eternal. We are inside of time, hindered by time, affected by time. God is not. The more I look in the mirror, the more I see that I'm becoming more and more and more affected by time. How about you? I see these lines around my eyes and on my forehead and these gray hair coming out everywhere and in my beard. And and I realize time has an effect on me. I realize I have a beginning, physically speaking, and I'm heading toward my, toward my ending. I, I pray sometimes, you know, Lord, let me preach as a dying man to dying people, because guess what? That's what I am. And that's what you are. I'm a dying man, and you're, a, you're dying people. We have a beginning, physically speaking. We have an ending, physically speaking. We are affected by time. We are existing in time. God is not. God is outside of time, eternal. Time does not affect him. He's still the same God. Can you say amen? If there's one lie that Satan wants you to believe is that God is not who who he used to be. He's not the God of the Bible. I want to tell you, we still serve this morning the same star-breathing, sea-splitting, dead-raising God that we read about on the pages of Scripture. And what God has done in the past, He can and will do now if we'll let Him. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. That's Him. He has not changed he's the eternal ever existing great I am if you believe it say amen this morning God is eternal and he has created eternity (laughs) now for us to understand eternity I want to give you just three statements concerning eternity that I hope will help you today number one eternity is our future. And when I say our future, that's what I mean. It's mine and it's yours. Genesis chapter number 2, brothers, if you will please, verse number 7 tells us this. Genesis 2, verse number 7. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils, watch this, the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Everybody say living soul. How many of you understand that's what you are? I told you Wednesday night, for those of you that were were here, that what you see before you, that's really not Israel Price. And what I see before me, that's really not you. See, what you're looking at, and ultimately what I'm looking at, is your earthly house. And you're looking at my earthly house. The Bible sometimes calls it an earthly tabernacle. You know what a tabernacle is, don't you? It's a tent. It's a temporary dwelling place. And that's exactly what our physical bodies are. They are a physical, temporary dwelling place while we live in this world. But really who I am and really who you are, we can't see. See, really who you are is the soul within you. That's what brings 
this body life. That's what makes you who you are. That what makes you laugh and talk and sing and learn and love. That's that soul within you. Now you've got a soul and I've got a soul. And that soul that came from God who is eternal is also eternal. And eternity is my future and eternity is your future. You say, Brother, I don't believe any of that. Well, it don't matter if you believe it or not. That, that has no basis or bearing on the truth. You can choose to believe 2 plus 2 is 4 or not, but it doesn't change the fact that 2 plus 2 is always going to be 4. This truth is unchanging. This truth is absolute. I have a soul. You have a soul. It was given by God who is eternal and our soul will spend eternity the Bible teaches in one of two places. Eternity is our future. Not only does the Bible say that, it says it in many places. Let me just give you a few verses before we go any further. First of all, look in Matthew chapter number 25. Matthew chapter 25. And I want us to see verse number 46. Now I'm not going to go back and read to you this whole parable that Jesus gives in Matthew 25, but I encourage you to do so in your personal quiet time this week. It'd be a great study for you. Matthew 25, he starts in verse number 31, and it ends in verse number 46. Now listen what 46 says. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. So Jesus makes it clear in that last verse of Matthew 25, that there's going to be a group of people who go into everlasting punishment and there's going to be a group of people who go into everlasting life. And if you go back and read in that parable that he gives there, he says it's going to be determined by those who are sheep and those who are goats. Now, if you understand, Jesus says that he himself is the good shepherd. You understand exactly what he's talking about. Those who are sheep are those who are his, him being the shepherd. Those who are goats are those who are not his. Those who are righteous are those who've trusted in the shepherd. Those who are not righteous and still in their sin are those who are the goats. Those on the right and those on the left are going to be divided. And they're divided depending upon how they relate to the shepherd. Are you getting me? Now, that is a message for each and every one of us. According to Matthew 25, 46, everybody will one day spend eternity in one of two places. Either in everlasting punishment or in eternal life. If you believe it, say amen to that. Eternity is my future and yours. The Bible says it. Even science points to it. Now, I'm certainly not a physicist. I'm not a scientist. I'm not any of that. But I can read. And the second law of thermodynamics states that energy, and that's really what we are, we're all made up of energy. Energy does not disappear. It, either tra it, it is either transferred or it is transformed. That means 
When this body goes back to the dust from whence it came, it's not over. That energy that really makes you who you are, when you move out of this house, that energy goes somewhere. And even science points to that. It points to that because it's truth. Are you hearing me? So eternity is our future. Dave Ramsey says something when giving financial advice that is also really good spiritual advice. You know what he says? Those who fail to plan, plan to fail. Man, he's right. Financially speaking, if I, if I fail to plan now for what's going to take place in the future, then when the future comes, I'm not going to be ready for it. So I need to be putting back my savings and investing now, preparing for tomorrow, preparing for later. Spiritually speaking, the same is true. If Listen to me now. If you don't plan to trust in and follow Jesus now, that will greatly affect your future, not just in this life, but also throughout eternity. So that's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Amen. That this is not something you need to wait on. You need to start now because we don't know when our last breath is going to take place. Everybody do this for me. That was a gift from God, the Bible says. He's the one who gives us the breath in our lungs. But I want you to understand, we're not promised the next one. Shakespeare says it like this, man struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then he is no more. You know what he means by that? We live our life, our small existence, and it seems as though the more I live it, the quicker it goes by. How about y'all? I remember when I was a kid, man, we, I, I, I was always thinking, man, I cannot wait till I turn 16. When I turn 16 and get my license, that's going to be the greatest day ever. And then I finally, well, I had to wait a long time. It felt like I had to wait forever to get them, and then I got it. Then I thought, man, I can't wait till I get married and have kids. And then that time came, it seemed like I had to wait a little while. And then I thought, man, I can't wait for this, or I can't wait for that. And now I turn back and look, and a long time has passed at just the snap of your finger. Why? Because the Bible says the grass withers and the flower fades. And so does man. Shakespeare and the Bible were right. <laughs> man struts and frets his hour upon the stage and is no more. You just don't know when your act is going to end. You don't know when scene is going to close. So the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Why? Because eternity is our future. Let me say this to you now. Listen. Number two, eternity is final. It's final. There's finality in it. The, the Bible says a whole lot about, about eternal life and about eternal death. And I want to give you some of those scriptures. 
First of all, look in John chapter 3 and verse number 16. We've all heard this. John 3, 16, probably the most well-known verse in all the Bible. It's the gospel in a nutshell. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have what? So evidently, again, going back to what Jesus said in Matthew 25, there's a group who's going to perish and there's a group who's going to receive everlasting life. Are you getting it? And what is, is going to divide the two is how they relate to Jesus. Jesus said, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his own, that whosoever does what? Now believe is not just a head knowledge and you saying, okay, I, I know there was a God. No, believe means to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. It's you coming to the place where you realize without Jesus you are lost and undone and you are on your way to eternal punishment. You're on your way to eternal condemnation, eternal death, to perishing. That's what that means. And then by faith you trust in who Christ is and what he's done. His finished work, his shed blood on the cross is available for all who receive it by grace. It's available for you. Your sins can be forgiven. You can be made right with God. You can be declared one of the righteous. One of his sheep. Not because of your goodness, but because of his goodness. You've got to trust in him. Look at John 3, 36. Jesus says, or the Bible says something else here. John chapter 3, verse number 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not, the, the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Now I want you to think about this. God spoke and light came from darkness. God spoke when there was nothing and created everything. God spoke and the millions upon billions upon billions of stars throughout the universe we live in came into existence. God spoke and the trees you rode by on the way out here came into being. God spoke and the blue sky you looked at this morning as you drove this way. All of that happened. That was just by the spoken word of God. How powerful is the God we serve? Now, if there's somebody that I do not want on my bad side, it's him. Well, guess what the Bible is saying? Those who believe on the Son, listen to me now, shall have everlasting life, but those who believe not the Son shall not see life, but what? The wrath of Almighty God will be poured out upon that person. That's cause for alarm. You need to realize this morning, if you've not yet made the decision to trust in Jesus as your personal Savior, the Bible says the wrath of God now abides on you. Romans chapter 6, verse number 23, watch this. Romans 6, verse number 23, for the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Death means separation. Physical death is the separation of the soul, the spirit, from the physical body. Y'all have seen that, I know. That's why we have the graveyard like we've got right out here. 
when my soul, my spirit, is separated from my body, then this body will be lifeless. I've done a lot of funerals in the last 22 years. And let me tell you what I've always found out about dead people. Dead people don't do nothing. Let me tell you why dead people don't do nothing. Dead people can't do nothing. Let me tell you why dead people can't do nothing. Because dead people have no life. You say, Brother, you mean I come all the way out here this morning to let you tell me that dead people have no life? Absolutely. You got to get a hold of that. See, what's happened when you physically die is your soul, your spirit is being separated from your physical body. And that soul will go to one of two places, either eternal life or eternal condemnation, punishment, damnation. Is that not what the Bible's telling us? Is that not what Jesus has said over and over and over again? I think we need to take note of it. Again, those who fail to plan, plan to fail. So you've got to make that decision now. Now, when, when the Bible says here death, not only is it talking about physical death, but it's actually talking about spiritual death. In other places, you've seen it described perishing. Now, physical death is when the soul and the spirit is separated from the physical body. Spiritual death is when your soul is separated from God for an eternity. That's perishing. And that's what happens in a place called hell. Are you hearing me? Jesus said a lot about that in, in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, he gave this a parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And, and, and if you remember in that parable, um, the rich man wanted to come back from what was called Hades or the place of torment. He wanted to come back and tell his brothers not to come to the place he had went to. He wanted to leave where he was. But if you go back and read in Luke chapter 16, the Bible says he couldn't do that. Why? Because there was a great gulf fixed and those who were in hell had to stay there. This is not something that lasts for just a moment. You need to think about eternity. If something is eternal, guess what? It's unending. There's never a moment when it won't be. If I say someone is eternal, what I'm saying is there's never going to be a moment when that someone does not exist in some form. Well, guess what I'm telling you, what the Bible's telling you. You are eternal. And you will exist past this physical body. The soul that makes you, you, and the soul that makes me, me, will exist either in eternal life in heaven or eternal punishment in hell. Eternal punishment, eternal life. Eternity is not only our future, eternity is final. The decision whether to choose Christ or reject Christ is the biggest decision you're ever going to make. 
Now, I want you to know, becoming a child of God and following Jesus is more than just fire insurance. But praise God, it is fire insurance. It certainly changes my life today in the world that I live in now. But it's also changed my eternity. Praise God. I've missed hell and gained heaven, not because of me, but because of him. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. That's what God did for me. Eternity, folks, is final. But let me tell you something else. Listen to me now. Eternity can be fatal. It can be. I did a study just this past week on hell because I think it's important we realize what happens when we choose to stand in rejection of the finished work of Christ. The Bible teaches that hell is a place created for the devil and his angels. Let me tell you why hell was created for the devil and his angels. Because the devil and his angels were in rebellion and are in rebellion to God who is holy. So let me tell you what hell is all about. Hell is a place for rebels. Hell is a place who rejects God. And if you're here this morning and you stand in rejection of Jesus, guess what? You're on your way to hell. Now, I know nobody likes to hear that anymore. I mean, Brother Israel, you, I, well, I don't know about a lot of hell, fire, and brimstone preaching. Well, folks, if we don't speak about hell, then we really can't speak about heaven. Everybody likes to talk about heaven, and I do too. Praise God for heaven. But do you realize Jesus spoke a whole lot more about hell than he did about heaven? And he's trying to let us know. He's trying to make us understand. Listen to me very plainly. There is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. But he don't want you going to hell. I mean, he said stuff like this. If your hand defends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. He said, this is so important. I had rather live life with no hand or blind to, in the eye than to die and go to hell. If that's what's keeping you from trusting in him, get rid of it. Now, is Jesus actually telling us to cut off our hand or pluck out our eye? No, what he's saying is, this is important. The most important decision you'll ever make. Amen? It can be fatal. Hell actually makes real to those who go there our three greatest fears. Psychologists tell us that the three greatest fears that we have as human beings is number one, our fear of falling. And I, I believe that. I think everybody has that fear of falling. Let me tell you how I know it. Because when I almost fall, that little feeling goes up my backbone. You know what? <laughs> just yesterday, we <laughs> just yesterday, we had a little family outing this weekend and went and rode some horses. <laughs> and my wife was getting off a horse. And, and she got off of it very quickly. 
when she went to get off, her feet got hung in the stirrup. And at the time her feet got hung in the stirrup, I was trying to help her down, and Lady Grace was standing there with her coat unzipped. And it was raining, it was cold, and I said, let me zip your coat. So I started zipping her coat, and Brandy swings that leg over, her feet gets hung in the stirrup, and she's going, Israel, Israel, wait, wait, Israel. And then I turn around, and she's already falling. And she fell all the way down with her feet still in the stirrup. And the whole time, she was screaming for me to catch her. Why? Because she had that feeling of falling, right? We've all had that feeling of falling. We all fear it. Well, you know what the Bible describes hell as in Revelation chapter 9? It describes it as a bottomless pit. It describes it as having that feeling of falling continually. Think about what the first day in hell is going to be like. That first day in hell, you're going to be falling and you can't catch yourself. We've never experienced that. We live in a world that is stable, that is, uh, listen to me now, we have the, uh, the blessing of gravity to keep us planted on the ground and to keep us stable, something stable under our feet. But when you are thrown into hell, it's going to be like a continual feeling of falling and you don't know where you're going. Utter fear and hopelessness will soon overcome you because you can't get your bearing. Not only does hell deal with the feeling of falling, the fear of falling, but also our fear of darkness. How many of you know that all of us, to some degree, were at least once or are still scared of the dark? I don't know about you, but if I'm alone in the dark, matter of fact, just the other night I came into church and uh, ran by my office to get something, walked into my office and, and picked it up off of my desk, and I'm walking back through and never turned any lights on, just... Just had the phone, my, my phone, on, my light on my phone. And so as I was walking back through there, I heard something go, That's how it sounded. I'm serious. And the, the thing that entered my mind is that, listen to me now, greater is he that's in me than he that's in And I started praying that. I was thinking, I don't know if that's demonic. I don't know what that is. But I'm trusting in Jesus and the word of the Lord. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Come to find out, it was one of the toys in the nursery whose battery had gone low. <laughs> and instead of singing E-I-E-I-O, it was singing <laughs> But in the dark, that changes things. You know what I'm saying? A great deal. In hell, the Bible says it's considered outer darkness. Jesus made that clear. He says it in Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 12. I'm not going to turn there, but I want you to go back and look at it. In, in hell, you'll be in complete and utter darkness. I don't know that any of us have ever experienced complete and utter darkness where we can't even get our bearings, what direction we're going in. Couple that with the feeling of falling. Our third greatest fear is the fear of pain. Nobody likes to experience pain. Nobody in their right mind, anyway, likes to experience pain. Hell is a place of continual torment. 
Now, I know there's a lot of people who say today that hell's not real. It's, it's not literal. It's just a figurative place that's described in the Word of God. Well, the, 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 the words that Jesus used in his parable of the rich man Lazarus in Luke 16 tells me that hell is a literal place of torment. Because you know what the rich man says? I, I, I pray, Father Abraham, that you would send, that you would just dip your finger in water and drop it upon my tongue because I am tormented in this flame. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am, everybody say it. Now if Jesus is saying that, I believe he wants you to know that hell is a real, literal place of torment. Where the flame is never quenched and the worm dieth not. It's a continual state of dying but never experiencing death. A continual state of hurting but never having relief. A continual state of falling and never being able to catch yourself. A continual state of hopelessness because you'll realize in hell, just like the rich man, that you had an opportunity not to come to that place. Why did the rich man say it? Let me go back and tell my brothers. Because he knew his brothers was just like him. They had the opportunity and wouldn't take it, just like he had the opportunity and didn't take it. Listen to me, folks. Hell is real, just like heaven is real. Eternity can be fatal, number four, but eternity can be fantastic. It can be. That's the plan God has for you. Are you hearing me? The Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians that eye has not seen and ear has not heard the good things that God has laid up for those who love him. In the book of Revelation, we see the picture of heaven and the picture of heaven is that of jasper walls and golden streets, and the river of life, the tree of life. Now folks, I cannot wait to see the beauty of heaven. How about you? It's hard for me to even, even fathom with my finite mind the beauty of heaven when I read about it. But I know it's going to be good because I know who's making it. God who is all powerful is also all loving. And the God who is all loving loves me because I'm his child. And because I'm his child, he wants the best for me. And so just like Abraham, I'm looking for a city not made with the hands of men, but made by the hand of God. That's heaven. The greatest thing about heaven is not the streets of gold or the walls of jasper or the river of life. The greatest thing about heaven is we will be forever in the presence of God unhindered by the flesh. How many of you enjoy the presence of God? Well, two of us do. How many of you enjoy the presence of God? Yeah, me too. Me too. Man, when you're in a worship service and God begins to move, the Bible says he inhabits the praise of his people and you experience the presence of God in a fresh way, that fresh anointing, that fresh touch, praise Jesus. That's just a little taste of heaven. But even as good as that is, listen to me, 
we're still hindered by this flesh. We still don't experience the fullness, but one day we will. We will be totally unhindered in the presence of God, realizing fully who He is, how good He is, how gracious He is, how loving He is. Now, not only will you be in the presence of God, but you'll be a new person. The Bible says in the book of 1 John that whenever we get to heaven, we shall be just like Jesus is. We'll be in our glorified state. In bodies that are unhindered by matter, space, and time. I believe the, the Bible only gives us a snippet of what the glorified body looks like because like David Jeremiah said, if God gave us much more, that's all we'd think about. When you see Jesus resurrected from the grave, you see a snippet of the glorified body. Jesus walks through the wall of the upper room, the doors being locked, meaning he was unhindered by matter. We see him one time speaking with his disciples in the upper room, and then in the next moment, he's walking on the road to Emmaus. Listen, he is not hindered by space or time. Now, I don't know what all that means and how all that's going to be, but I'm looking forward to it. Eye hath not seen and ear hath not heard of the good things that God hath laid up for his people. Eternity can be fantastic. A body free of pain, can you say amen? Your back's not going to hurt and your legs ain't going to hurt. Body free of sorrow. The Bible says all tears will be wiped away from their eyes that the remembrance of former things will be no more. All the things that broke your heart, clouded your mind, discouraged you in this earth, you will no longer remember and you will forever be with Jesus where there will be nothing to worry about. Every provision will be made. Every joy in its fullness will be given. That's heaven. Parents, do you love your children? Don't you want to give them the best you can give them? Now, we're limited to what we can do for our kids. God is not. He who loves us most is all-powerful, can do all things, knows us better than we know ourselves. And he who knows us best gives us his best for our good. That's heaven. Think about that. In heaven we'll be in the presence of Jesus. But we'll also be in the presence of loved ones. Who's gone on before us. I've got grandparents. A brother. Who died in Christ. That I can't wait. To be re reunited with. And the Bible says. We'll be known in heaven. Even as we are also known. So for a loved one who's went on to be with the Lord, it's not goodbye, it's see you later. We have the hope of that as believers. So the choice for me is a no-brainer. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Eternity is our future. Eternity is final. Eternity can be fatal, but eternity can be fantastic.
and all depends upon your decision whether to trust Christ or reject Him. Everybody stand together. This invitation is for you. If you're here this morning and you know you've not yet made Jesus Lord of your life, you've not trusted in Him for the forgiveness of your sin, and right now the Holy Spirit of God is tugging at your heart. That's the best way I've ever heard it described because that's what it felt like with me when God began dealing with me, convicting of my sin, drawing me unto Himself. If that's you right now and you know it, let me tell you this. It's by grace, through faith, you are saved. And I invite you to make the decision today to trust in Jesus. Jesus said, we are not to fear those who can kill the body. But we should greatly fear the one who's able to put our soul into hell. God has done everything that is necessary through the person of His Son to show you mercy and show you grace. Jesus paid your sin debt at the cross so that you could go free. He took the punishment for your sin there so you wouldn't have to be punished for it. Now listen to me. I'll put it in your bulletin this morning. Ross put it in for me. Dr. Adrian Rogers said something years ago I love. He said, our sin will either be pardoned in Christ or punished in hell. And he's right. Today, you can receive the pardon from your sin. You can be forgiven. You can be redeemed. You can be set free and have eternal life. But if you choose to reject Jesus and you leave this walk of life without him, you will be punished for an eternity in a real hell that the Bible speaks about. That's the best way I know how to put it. Jesus has made a way. He's paid it all. Won't you trust Him? Today is the day of salvation.